Would you like, if you've got a Bible with you, to be turning to Hebrews chapter 11? We're going to read today from verse 17 in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to have another week of looking at Abraham and the faith of Abraham and how Abraham trusted God, uh, as the writer to the Hebrews picks up on it here. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. We've seen, we've had, if you've been with us, we've had several weeks now in Hebrews chapter 11. The end of chapter 10, we see uh, in verse 39, this wonderful statement, this encouragement to, uh, the, to us and to the early readers. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And what we now see denoted as chapter 11 in our modern Bibles goes on to expand and explain and just say, look, this is faith. By faith, look, see all these different characters, look what they've done by faith. Look what believing God has led them into. Look, what, look how all these things have come about by faith. By faith. This is what it is about. And as I said, we've got another week of looking at Abraham. We've seen uh, last time the writer of the Hebrews picked up on that whole thing. Abraham was called. Abraham, go to a land I will show you. And Abraham left his homeland. He left his family and he went with Sarah, his wife, and with Lot, his nephew, and went to find the land that God would show him. The land that would later become known to be the promised land. The land that God then promises to Abraham's descendants. And God gives Abraham great promises. I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And we see Abraham has to wait. He has to wait. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. He waits. And God gives him a son. It's waiting from... He's in his old age. Sarah's in her old age. Sarah, who, who was thought to be barren. There's, there's no way. What's, how's it going to happen? And God gives them Isaac. But then today, the writer to the Hebrews picks up on a story that we find in Genesis chapter 22. We've seen in chapters previously in Genesis, the birth of Isaac and, and how that wonderful uh, moment came. We see some other events happen and then in Genesis chapter 22 we're going to look at the story together and then we're going to come back to Hebrews chapter 11 and see what uh, the writer has, has pulled out. Look at what this says about Abraham's faith. 
But we're going, to read, we're going to go through the story in Genesis 22. A hard story, a tough story to look at and to read. Because it begins, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. We'll pause there. It's a tough story. Sometime later, God calls out, Abraham, take your son whom you love, your only son. It's a unique child, Isaac. And sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Wow. It sounds so wrong. It sounds abhorrent. Is it really true even? You could think, what is going on? What is God asking of Abraham? And then specifically, not just that he would kill his son, but but Isaac, the one through whom God said the promises will come through him. This is who, it sounds bad enough already, but Isaac's the one through whom the promises are going to be fulfilled. How can it be? Abraham's given this command, and yet immediately in the story, we see Abraham's response. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Abraham hears God, and he goes. This, it's, it sounds so hard to get our mind around. What is going on here? And yet, Abraham hears God, and he goes. Early the next morning, Let's read on. Verse 5. He said to his servants, so this is, on the third day, let's go from verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And we could look at this and we could say, well, does Abraham just not really know what to say to the servants? I've got to tell them something. I've got to say something. Yeah, you wait here. We'll keep them out of the way. We'll go over here, but we're coming back. Well, then then Isaac makes it a bit more difficult. Father, where's the lamb? But did he have, again, is he just... I've got to tell him something. I've got to, I can't really tell him the truth. What, what, is he just stalling for time? Is he just filling it in? Is he saying, well, no, God will provide somehow, Isaac. Well, the writer to the Hebrews would suggest otherwise. 
that Abraham's acting in faith. That Abraham believes they will come back. That Abraham believes that God will provide one way or another. As we'll see later, even if it took Isaac being raised from the dead, then that's what was going to happen. We will come back. God will provide. We begin to see the faith that the writer of the Hebrews is going to draw us to. We see, incidentally, at this point, as we sometimes get confused, Isaac is no baby at this point. We start with some time later. We're not told how long later. But Abraham takes the wood and he gives it to Isaac, and Isaac carries the wood up the hill. Isaac is asking the pertinent questions. Father, where's the lamb? Isaac is not a baby anymore. And we see the story go on. They went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It's a tough story. What we see in looking at it just briefly, we see Abraham is called, do this thing. Will you trust me in this? And as tough as it is to hear, we see Abraham was prepared to go through with it. Implicitly, we could suggest, although we can't be clear, that Isaac does too. At least we hear of no struggle. The boy who could carry the wood up the hill allows himself to be bound on the altar. And looking just at the text itself for a moment, we see it's a tough story. It's a tough account. We see, it just hits us and we think, how could this be happening? What's going on? And yet, as we look into the New Testament and where this story is directly referenced, we should be struck, perhaps not solely with, wow, the toughness, the, how, how can this be of the story? But actually, the writers of the Hebrews and then also James as well, in James chapter 2 picks up on this story, and both of them are picking up on what? Abraham's faith. Look how much Abraham trusts God. And in fact, perhaps we could be equally shocked and just blown away by the the hardness of the story, but also Abraham believes. James chapter 2. Section starts with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And James is going on to talk about the nature of, this, of true faith. A faith that acts. Faith that leads to doing what God says. And he picks up on Abraham's example, starting verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? 
Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he said, what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous no, sorry, credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. James and the writer to the Hebrews are both struck by this story in that it shows how much Abraham believed God. How his faith led to, God, whatever you say, I'm going to do. So we can see a tough and difficult story. We can also see a story of amazing faith. Amazing faith. And that is what the New Testament writers highlight to us uh, from this uh, passage. We see clearly the faith of Abraham. In fact, we can marvel at the faith that Abraham displays. And as we turn back to Hebrews chapter 11, I believe that we see at least three things about Abraham's faith as we look at this this challenging passage. And that is that Abraham believed God when he was tested, when it didn't make sense, and with everything. And in doing so, he just shows this is faith. This is faith. This is what it is to believe God. So, Okay, firstly, Abraham believed when he was tested. What do we see? Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. What a time of testing. What a time of testing of his faith. But what is clear through the New Testament is times of testing will come. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter picks up, look, you're going to go through all sorts. In fact, you are going, the people he's writing to, you are going through. You have gone through all kinds of trials. And yet, what do we see? This is refining your faith. You're, you're, you're able to trust God. You're able to stand firm on the, on the rock that is your salvation in him. James again, in James chapter 1. It appears he goes even further in James 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's an understanding through the different writings in the Old Testament. It's not always going to be easy. There's not, it's not always going to be times where the path looks so obviously clear and rosy. There's going to be times of trial. God doesn't guarantee that everything will be easy. You see, it's so easy for us to default to if, something, if circumstances come up, if circumstances that are hard come, 
Oh, well, what needs to happen is that the circumstances need to change. Even to go to the point, well, this, this must be attack from the enemy. Maybe. Maybe. But first and foremost, in everything, in every situation, in every circumstance, we need to trust God. We need to trust that he is at work. As Romans eight twenty eight reminds us, we know that in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him. We can trust him. It's a massive part of our writer's focus in the, in the letter to the Hebrews. He's going to go on to say throughout chapter 12 that God disciplines us, as son, uh, disciplines the ones he loves. Consider, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. Understand that things are going to come about, but God loves you. God loves you and he is refining you. He is making you to be more like him. Consider it pure joy, as James says. Wow. It's a massive part of our writer's message. He's been looking and we've seen it hinted at throughout the letter. These these people he's writing to, they're facing all kinds of trial and persecution and, and the temptation to kind of go back to the synagogue, go back to the law of Moses, go back to the old ways. Because surely that would be, lead to an easier life somehow. We're under so much pressure. He says, no, no, in all of that, trust God. Keep going. Keep going. Keep pressing in. He understands that it's not going to be easy. That's not a sign that you've got it wrong. But as he'll encourage them, endure hardship as discipline. Don't shrink back. Keep going. Don't see trial and trouble as an automatic sign. Oh, God must have left me. Or God must be unhappy with me. Or perhaps maybe I was wrong about this whole God thing in the first place. No, he's a good father. He's a good father. Testing will come, but how do we respond? And yet here... For Abraham, this is tough. This is tough. A moment of testing. God's command, it's so hard. And yet there's a call from the writer to the Hebrews. Look at Abraham and respond in faith. See, Abraham responded in faith. In the hardest moment, in this horrendous moment, there's a choice to be made. Abraham says, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting him. He who gave me the promise, I'm trusting him now. Even in these darkest times, I will trust my God. So firstly, Abraham does trust God in testing, in a time of testing, in a time that is so hard. There's a kind of another dimension to that. Abraham trusts God when it doesn't make sense. When it doesn't seem to make any sense. What does he go on to say, the writer to the Hebrews? Second half of verse 17. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. It didn't make sense. What God's asking him to do doesn't, it, 
we can, we can look at it and think, man, it sounds horrendous anyway. What, what is this? But it doesn't make sense. We can look at it and think, God's promised a great nation. All the nations are going to be blessed through your offspring and, and it's through Isaac that it will happen. It's through Isaac. So then, how could it make sense? How could it make sense? Sacrifice Isaac to me. Why was God asking this? See, God, God tests Abraham's faith. Will you trust me, Abraham? Will you trust me? I can be trusted in everything. Will you really trust me? You see, actually for us, we can face moments where it appears, it appears that God's leading us in the opposite direction to where we thought he was calling us to go. God's called me to this. I was going to serve in this way. And yet, it appears it's being taken away from me. Or I'm being asked to lay it down. Or I've got this city on my heart. And yet, God seems to be leading me to another place. God's, hasn't God said this? Well, yes, maybe he has. Or, in fact, the opposite. I know I'm called to be involved in this. How could it possibly be that I can then be asked to move somewhere else? We don't know the how of what God is going to do. Sometimes it can be that we get wrapped up in God said this, therefore this is how it must come about. This is how it must come about. And then when we hear something else, we think, well, that just can't fit, surely. We can hear, God said this to me, so therefore it will be in this place, with these people, at this time. No, we need to trust God with the how. Abraham trusts God with how God is going to work his promises out. The command doesn't make sense, and yet Abraham knows God is calling me to this. God will work it out. We can see, that's another example we can See, of how God doesn't always lead in a kind of, it doesn't seem an obvious, well, God said this, so therefore, when's it going to happen? We look at Joseph. I've been given a dream. My brothers, my father, is going to bow down to me. Well, it doesn't look like that when he's sold into slavery. It doesn't look like that when his brothers leave him for dead. It doesn't look like that when Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, causes the scandal and he's thrown into prison. It doesn't look like that when he's forgotten about. But you know what? God said it and it came to be. Joseph could look on and perhaps in some, some parts of it, Joseph did look on and think, how can this make sense? And we need to keep trusting him, trusting God. Abraham here must be thinking, what is going on? Yet Abraham's not letting go of the promises. Abraham, he's taken hold of the promises, as Hebrews 11 said. He's not saying, well, that's the end of that then. But God's obviously going off in a different direction now. But you understand, he continues to believe God. God's promised, it's through Isaac, your offspring will be reckoned. And God's saying, sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And he's believing both. God's called me to this. And God is going to do this. God's going to bring it together. 
Hence the writer of the Hebrews comes to this wonderful conclusion. Abraham understood. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. If that's what it needs, then that's what God will do. So I can believe God even though it doesn't make sense to me. Even though it doesn't look like these two things can work together. I know my God and I believe him. I'm not so wedded to just believing the promise that I fail to listen to the one who gave the promise. Abraham listens to the promise giver. He believes God in everything he says. He believes God is faithful and able to make this come about. Even if it takes God raising Isaac from the dead. So Abraham believes, even though it doesn't make sense. Abraham believes, though it's this time of testing, it's incredibly hard. And we see that in doing so, Abraham believes God with everything. Abraham holds nothing back. Not even Isaac. Not even the son who he loves. Not even the one who was promised to him. He was willing to give him up. You see, God recognises that the angel of the Lord declares in Genesis 22 verse 12, and then also in verse 16, he says it again. In verse 12. Don't lay a hand on the boy, he says. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And in verse 16, he goes on. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Abraham's willing to give God everything. God comes first with Abraham. You see, we can sing, I'm wholly yours, God. At 9.30 we sang, you're the only one who really matters. He's the one who comes first. We can trust him and we need to trust him with everything. We can sing those words, I'm wholly yours. Anything, God, anything you ask of me. Can we say it? Or is it anything asterisk? You always have to look for the small print down the bottom, asterisk. Unless you're asking me to do this or that or give up this or possibly that. I'm not really sure about that. But anything, asterisk. Now God's allowed to ask anything of us. Why? Because he's God. Because he is God's. We've had some great encouragements of that uh, already, which I'll come to in a minute. But I, I've been struck, I've started re- uh, reading this book, Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. I can't fully recommend it yet because I haven't got through it all. But from what I've read, I would recommend it. Um, but he's got, there's a chapter, talk, it's talking about the Christmas story and the different uh, things from Scripture about Jesus coming into the world. There's a chapter on the fathers of Jesus, he titles it, and he talks about God as God the Father, as Jesus' father, and Joseph, 
as Jesus' father on earthly father who brought him up. And he's talking about Joseph is told by the angel, you know that you would normally, as the father, get to name the son. Well, you can't. God's doing that. God's doing that. You will name him Jesus. You're right in that very patriarchal society. It's the father's right. He gets to name the child. No, no. God's doing that. God's the father. And he says in that chapter, leading on from that, people constantly say to me, I'm interested in being a Christian, but not if being a Christian means I have to do X or Y. Do you know what they're doing? They're trying to name him. They're saying, I want Jesus Christ, but on my terms. The angel says that if he comes into your life, you don't control him, he controls you. When you come to Christ, you must drop your conditions. What does that mean? It means if... It means you have to give up the right to say, I will obey you if. I will do this if. As soon as you say, I will obey you if, that's not obedience at all. You're saying, well, you're my advisor, Lord. Not my Lord. I'll be happy to take your recommendations, and I might even do some of them. Now, if you want Jesus with you, you have to give up the right to self-determination. Self-denial is an act of rebellion against our late modern culture of self-assertion. But that is what we are called to. Nothing less. And just reading that this week as preparing, just struck. This is what Abraham does. Abraham says, anything, God. Anything. Even Isaac. I'm listening. You call me to sacrifice Isaac? Yes. Yes, I will. Because you said it. Because it's you. Because you're God. Because you're in control. Because you're in charge. God's allowed to ask anything of us. That wonderful picture that came through. We need to get up so that he can sit on the throne. With everything. I'm not keeping my little throne in the corner that actually can kind of come in with a veto at some point. He's the only one who matters. He's the one who is God. Because it can be so easy to kind of get into the position of thinking, no God, that can't really be what you mean. You can't mean that. When we know, actually, this is what God is calling us to. This is what God has asked us to do. The truth is, like Abraham, we can trust him. He is faithful and he does know best. And he does know what is best for us. So Abraham trusted God in testing, in the tough times, in everything, in every circumstance. Trusted him even though it didn't make sense. And in doing so, he showed that he was trusting God with everything. It's a tough story, but it highlights Abraham's faith incredibly. But as we see Abraham's faith, we cannot, we cannot skip by this story without also seeing why can we do this? How can we do this? This story doesn't just only show us Abraham's faith, 
but it shows a wonderful picture of exactly what he has done for us, what God has done for us. We can't help us looking at Isaac going up the hill, carrying the wood. Going up Mount Moriah, which became the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. We can't help but not, we can't help but not, we can't not be drawn to Jesus, to the one who also would go up a very similar mountain. He would go up the mountain to the temple, then he would go up a similar mountain outside Jerusalem, carrying the wood. In fact, so burdened by it that they got someone else to come in and carry the wood. We can't help be drawn to what Abraham says. Isaac, God himself will provide the the lamb. God provided a substitute that day. A ram caught in the bush. But it only points towards another day when God would provide the ultimate substitute. When God would provide the one sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And on that day, there would be no intervention at the last minute. Abraham, Abraham wouldn't come as Jesus hung there because he was the substitute. He was the lamb that was slain. He was the one who God provided as he willingly went up that hill, as he went to the cross. see Isaac and Abraham and it points us to God giving his son for us Abraham in a manner of speaking received Isaac back from the dead but Jesus would die and he would be raised from the dead he would come conquering sin and death conquering the grave winning us saving us so that we like Abraham can trust him with everything So that the writers of the Hebrews can declare in chapter 10, verse 39, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. How? Why? Because Jesus went to the cross. And so Paul can declare in Ephesians 2, verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Therefore, as we look at this this tough moment, a tough moment in the book of Genesis and in the letter to the Hebrews, we see a man of wonderful faith. But we see a God who is utterly faithful, a God who is a good, good father, a God who has done everything for us so that we can trust him with everything, in every circumstance. How can we do anything less? How can we do anything else when we look on that one who went as our substitute to the cross? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Let's give him our all and believe him for everything.